Welcome to Seismic Sales Enablement Shift Podcast. Here is your host and Seismic's Vice President of Marketing, Daniel Rodriguez. Welcome to another episode of the Sales Enablement Shift Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Rodriguez. And I'm your co-host, Alyssa Drury. So far on the podcast, we've talked a lot about the strategic back end of successful sales enablement. We've covered topics like getting buy-in, building the right team, and others. But today we're getting into the nitty-gritty of one major area of enablement, talent management. That's right. If you've been listening to our podcast from the beginning, you might remember Nicole O'Brien discussing the four major areas of, quote, brokenness in sales enablement, and talent management was one of them. Talent management means different things to different people. It can include training, onboarding, learning, development, coaching, and more. The main goal, though, according to the Sales Enablement Society, is hire to retire, retaining the best people for as long as possible. To learn more about this, today we're speaking with Brian Lambert, Managing Director of Oxygen Learning and co-founder of the Sales Enablement Society. We hope you enjoy this episode and learn a lot about how to effectively manage the talent on your sales team. So if you could just start off by giving a little bit of background about yourself. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. My background is uh, really interesting and diverse, I think. It's one of those things where I started out in sales and I made the decision after becoming a top performer that I wanted to work on the sales profession instead of in it. But back at the time, which was you know early 2000-ish time frame, uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to work on the sales profession unless you were like a sales trainer. So I actually started this process of professionalizing, using air quotes, uh, the sales profession by putting out kind of an open source framework, if you will, around sales training. That led me to uh, actually become uh, a leader in the American Society for Training and Development, which is a, a nonprofit focused on the training profession. And I didn't necessarily have a training background at the time, but when you're out, when, when you're a top performing salesperson, when you leave, you end up running your own consulting business or joining a consulting business, which is what I had done. But because I was passionate about helping those that are in the profession without necessarily doing the sales training, I, I was able to uh, talk about uh, things like sales process and sales skills without being uh, aligned to a specific methodology. And I, I became the, the guy that uh, ASTD, uh, looked to to start their sales enablement practice. And so I did that. And then I, I met Scott Santucci from Forrester and, and he brought me in uh, into Forrester where I helped uh, in the sales enablement practice. And then I, I left Forrester to work at the largest training company that's publicly traded called GP Strategies. I worked there to start their sales enablement practice. And now I'm at uh, Oxygen Learning where I, I head up the consulting group and actually our whole company is around uh, enablement and I work with a great group of folks that are passionate about really helping individuals uh, get the right experiences that they need. And uh, my background is pretty diverse in that, uh, you know, from project management to marketing to sales management to sales training. I have an HR master's degree. I, I have a PhD in organizational systems and change. So I've, I've studied the sales profession from a variety of different angles. And I think it's uh, helped me try to connect the dots in uh, the folks that I work alongside with. Wow, I actually did not even know about it. So should we be calling you Dr. Lambert in this conversation? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I, I, uh, 
I, I can't stand that. But um, <laughs> okay, in early won't. days, you know, when you pay so much money for it, you're like, yes, you must call me that. that. You must call me Doctor Brian. <laughs> and I, I tell people, I was like, you can use it if you want, if it it'll help you. But you know, you might have just had half your listeners turn off the uh, podcast. <laughs> I, so if you need to edit that out, that's fine. All Whatever right, all right, fine. We're just here with Brian. It's exactly. only Brian. That's right. <laughs> Very approachable. Yeah. Um, all right, and so you mentioned you mentioned Scott Santucci now with the uh, the Alexander Group, and who's also been doing a lot of work with the Sales Enablement Society. So how did how did you actually get involved with the Sales Enablement Society? Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a story. Um, he uh, he and I have always talked. We we're friends and colleagues, and uh, we're both passionate about uh, sales enablement. And we've always had this view that you know it takes a village, if you will, and, and no one person has the the total answer. <laughs> I use the phrase, everybody seems to be right. Now, what are we going to do about it? It's not about right and wrong. It's about how do we bring all these perspectives together? And Scott's really passionate about a rising tide lifts all boats. And, uh, you know, as somebody who's worked in the field, as long as he has, he found that uh, if you read his blog post where all this started, that he really wanted to have actual conversations and build interconnected uh, relationships around sales and enablement, not just published content. Uh, him and I have both written stuff. Uh, I've written four books. He's written, you know, hundreds of articles. And when you write stuff, it, it's a little bit impersonal, right? And uh, what I gleaned from his blog post, which he he shared with me, he said, hey, you got to come to my meeting. I want to have a meeting. So I was like one of the first guys he invited. But the point of, of the uh, invitation was let's talk and let's get together and let's talk real issues. There, there are a lot of problems that need to be addressed. And let's let's figure out what those problems are. And you know what? We're going to do it from a view that that is uh, in the hands of uh, the people doing the work. So we pulled together a lot of practitioners, and uh, it would just uh, became a fact-finding journey to figure out what's happening in sales enablement, uh, how others are wrestling with it. I, I met uh, folks like Nicole O'Brien and Jim Marie Jacober and Raul Gupta and others who are really uh, working hard to improve the lives of salespeople. And, um, you know, my dad was in sales. I've been in sales now for a long time. And I'm, when you take a bunch of people who are passionate about uh, helping uh, salespeople be successful, regardless of what that looks like, and uh, kind of suspend all pretense and, and just focus on the problem, great things happen. And that's what happened in that first meeting. And, and from that point, we've just been wrestling with what really are complex issues uh, with the purpose of just trying to process that together and, and try to help each other out. And that's really led to a, quite an explosion uh, across, uh, obviously, social platforms like LinkedIn. But we're actually going to have our first ever uh, meeting down in um, Florida, West Palm Beach. And we're actually going to uh, inaugurate the Sales Enablement Society. And this is from a group of people who all work full time, probably 80 hours a week and in our spare time. We, we put together a group and, and decided it should be a nonprofit and then see where it goes. And, and now we have a website. Now we have, you know, 350 members and it's it's quite a story and it's not like anybody has a plan. We're just trying to help each other be successful, uh, whatever that looks like. Yeah, it's so awesome to actually hear how this has evolved because it really it, this is truly a grassroots effort. And I think there's enough people now in different parts of the country, it sounds like, too, that are experiencing a lot of the same types of problems and frustrations around sales enablement being something within their organization that that might not necessarily 
uh, be as strategic as it should be and wanting to tackle some of those broader issues that you're that you're talking about. I think one of the main areas I know that, that you've focused a lot on has been the training aspect of sales enablement. Why don't you talk a little bit about, about how training fits into enablement and, and help us please to dispel some of these ugly rumors out there that the only thing that sales enablement is, is training. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Um, that's a good point that you bring up there. Uh, as far as uh, enablement being training, uh, you can you can take uh, all those people and line them up, and then uh, across the room from them, you can have all the people who believe it's a, a technology platform, and maybe they could uh, you know have a duel. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to win, the technologists or the training people? No one wins. <laughs> um, so it's interesting, right? Uh, in that uh, challenge of helping salespeople be successful, I, I tend to think of it as a recipe a little bit, you know, and using a weird analogy here, but you know, what if you need a, um, a, a sprinkle of, uh, you know, uh, training, a, a heaping tablespoon of technology, a, a dash of uh, operational execution and, uh, you know, a couple of cups of uh, customer empathy? You know, what would that look like and then who would own it and who would be bringing those ingredients to our uh, outcome that we're trying to drive? And uh, certainly one of the key ingredients is uh, this idea of training and and the reason for it is if you take a look at the function that should be responsible for helping evolve the skills of people uh, in sales and service roles, it should be the training group. I mean, when you look at the CEO, they're sitting around the table. Uh, he or she is going to say, okay, what are we doing for technology? How are we doing in operations, finance, what we got? And then when it comes to how are people doing, they're going to look to the HR function. And underneath that, there are a lot of different pieces of that elephant whether it's talent management or, you know, developing skills and training or uh, leadership development. I could go on and on and on, and I, I won't do that. But there's a big uh, fragmented view of, of this, uh, this side of the, the uh, enablement equation. So I, I, I tend to spend my time in that space because of my background and because of my, my degrees and, and where I've uh, gravitated towards. I really sit at the intersection between uh, learning and sales, and it's a critical piece. And uh, I, I use the word learning because it's not just about putting people in the classroom. It's about their experience before the classroom. It's what happens in the classroom, and it's what happens after the classroom. But more importantly, it's the definitions of uh, what good looks like. Uh, it's the uh, from a behavior perspective, the realization that if your company's strategy has evolved, uh, that the human capital strategy probably should evolve as well. Uh, into a future state. And underneath that, you have to onboard people differently. You have to uh, develop different types of skills. Uh, you should probably be focused on certifying folks on a, a basic level of knowledge and, and skill. What is that and how does that all work together is certainly a, a systems view that's necessary. Uh, and it's highly complex because people are involved. And I think that's the uh, area of sales enablement that uh, really uh, people need to understand in sales enablement roles and really uh, should bring together folks from a, a variety of different backgrounds and, and perspectives to help elevate those those selling skills or even align uh, the skills of uh, product marketing, operations, finance to those sales conversations. 
you know, it's not just salespeople who probably need to evolve their skills and thinking. There are others across the organization as well. Uh, what's the role of uh, quote unquote training or enablement in that. How does the phrase talent management then fall into this conversation? Yeah, I, you know, I try not to sweat the details uh, too much, but it, it's the concept in, in that way. I, I really, by that, I mean talent management. I don't know who uses that other than training people. Okay. Uh, training people. <laughs> and um, talent management is something that, that we'll spend a ton of time on talking behind closed doors, but doesn't necessarily translate well to the sales organization. Um, from a sales organization perspective, it's making sure your people are in the right spot, making sure that they're in the right type of sales roles. It's defining those sales roles clearly and then managing the source or the skill pool within those roles, which to me is a management dilemma. That's technically what talent management should be, uh, but we end up in a lot of academic exercises and you know talking about models and theories instead of actually defining the evolution of, of uh, knowledge and skill, for example. And, and that from what to what journey. In other words, if salespeople need to be uh, uh, elevating their sales conversations to reach executives, what should they stop doing? What should they start do, doing? And then how do you develop folks into that new, uh, that new skill? That's technically what talent management would do. Uh, there's a lot of ways to do it. And I think that's, that's part of the evolutionary journey is it's not just a classroom. Uh, it, it's actually a a fabric of, uh, of experiences that need to be woven together to achieve this behavioral outcome, if you will, that's aligned uh, to the sales strategy or the business strategy. And that, in essence, is what talent management is without getting into the, the learning uh, mumbo jumbo around it. <laughs> Thank you for, for sparing us that, I guess. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so we've actually, so when Nicole O'Brien was on the show, we talked about the VP of broken things was the, was the, uh, the title that she'd given uh, somebody who would be running a sales enablement initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, when when we think of kind of areas of brokenness, you know, that, that are in sales enablement, what currently seems to be some of the the biggest things you've seen around that that kind of training and and an onboarding piece? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. I, I spent a lot of time at the uh, the executive level looking at the training, Ellen, learning and development, HR functions and the expectations that executives have on that function. And, and they really want you know, faster, more relevant content. They want to achieve business objectives. They want their people to be aligned to the strategy. They want uh, the, the behaviors to evolve to be more customer-centric. And, and executives can quantify that, and they can explain what it looks like. Um, and then you can go to the newest uh, training person, and you can say, hey, you know, what's your role? And they'll say the same thing. Well, I should be providing relevant content. I should be creating, you know, interactive experiences. I should be driving the right skills in the sales team. And they'll actually say something that is fairly close to what executives would expect. And then you look at the gap between the two, between the C-level and kind of the newest uh, training and learning development person. And you realize that the mechanisms aren't there. For some reason, the, the, the training function, you know, using air quotes, isn't necessarily perceived as valuable. Uh, it's not necessarily seen as a strategic partner to drive change. And yet the people within the function are, are very passionate about making sure that salespeople are successful. And there's some great people in, in the function, but something's not quite right. And it doesn't seem to work. You have maybe seen this in sales uh, organizations where 
the value proposition is probably right, but for some reason, sales results aren't there. The same thing I think is happening in the in the training and, and learning development space. And the area of brokenness really has to do with aligning the the mechanism or the function of training and development uh, to the customer. In, in many ways, uh, training and development views internal salespeople as customers, and they should. But can they align to those internal sales teams and to the VP of sales? Can they have that conversation? Can they um, help the, the sales leadership actually explain what they're looking for? Uh, can they help them communicate and extrapolate out the uh, subject matter expertise required uh, from top performers in order to to be successful? And I think the techniques and the the methods that many uh, trainers are taught aren't necessarily helpful uh, to cracking that code. And I, I almost look at the the profession as a whole, creating a lot of noise, creating a lot of tips and tricks uh, in, in the training space, creating barriers to relevance. And, and it's really hard. I think the profession, in a way, has almost let people down. And uh, that's because they're not enablement focused. And a lot of this stuff is, well, you have to go do a needs analysis and here's how you do it. And so, uh, you know, a learning development person ends up doing this checklist of a needs analysis, spending 20 minutes on the phone. They did their needs analysis. Now let me go build a training course. So you're taking somebody, you know, that, that has 20 minutes of input and they're, you're asking them to be extremely relevant to sellers. And it's just not a recipe for success. So um, th- these are system, systemic challenges. Um, th- there's a lot of hard wiring in the training development space that has to be uh, you know, shook loose. And uh, people need to be freed up to add the right kind of value. So then what can enablement leaders do to, to help take ownership of training without it being something that's kind of run separately and wouldn't necessarily get the attention that it deserves? Yeah, the, um, it's interesting. Uh, and, 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 I think, and I think it's a great question because a lot of sales enablement leaders that have training underneath them will say that they need the training group and they need the training efforts to be uh, really relevant because a lot of the value of enablement, if you have any training whatsoever underneath your scope of your role, a lot of the value that is delivered is through the training function because they produce outputs, they produce courses, they create experiences, or, or they're supposed to. So uh, a lot of the value of um of enablement is found in what people interact with in the training group, uh, much like their marketing uh, counterparts who produce a lot of marketing content, that training content uh, is also a, a litmus test of, of how relevant the function is. So um, to, to be more relevant, you have to look at how that stuff gets built and how people, knowledge workers, L&D professionals are equipped to close the gap between salespeople and customers. And I think that's really an area for improvement is to think through how are you giving those L&D professionals, those training professionals, inputs about the market shifts, inputs about customers, your end user customers, inputs about the roadmap from a technology perspective. All of these external inputs that are driving business strategy, how are L&D professionals or enablement professionals getting their hands on those? And then do they understand the implications of that? So more of an outside-in perspective, I think, is required. And sales enablement leaders, because they're close to the sales force, can actually do that by providing inputs, uh, sharing through uh, maybe uh, lunch and learns, if you will, but also um, increasing the access to salespeople 
um, in structured ways, not in ways that burden the sales force, but in ways that are fun, engaging, and allow salespeople to share what they're learning um, without f- feeling frustrated. So, I mean, I think you touched a little bit on this with the idea of some of these lunch and learns, but what else can, can trainers do to make sure that their role is elevated to being as strategic as possible? Yeah, there are different altitude levels, um, you know, and I think oftentimes we get wrapped around the org chart view of it as trainers and L&D professionals. But if you strip away the org chart, there are different ways in which somebody can add value. One is they can consult with the sales organization to identify problems. So what skill sets are you getting to consult with your internal customers? Can you uh, have a conversation, a whiteboard conversation uh, that that really unpacks some of the challenges in different types of sales forces uh, and not treat everybody the same? To that end, you know, stop using the word like the learner. You know, I've I've been in a lot of uh, training groups where they talk about the learner needs this, the learner needs that. I strike that from the record and say they're not learners, they're salespeople. What type of salesperson are you trying to equip? Let's get specific. So that ability to consult in a specific way is a role, a hat that they should wear. Another hat that uh, training and development people need to, to perhaps look at wearing is this idea of what is the learning journey or what is the learning experience that people need to have, that salespeople need to have. And the learning experience is really an end-to-end view of every touch point with the organization. And can you build a uh, learning experience fabric that's always on and meets people where they are so that uh, those salespeople can get the right knowledge, the right skills, et cetera, at at the time that they need it. And that's important to think about from a a learning experience view. So I think there's a, a need for that type of skill. And then within the more core traditional landscape of training, There are new facilitation methods. There are new ways to deliver content. There are more um, non-facilitated, technology-driven portals and platforms that can be tapped into. And there's also, you know, the process stuff that's going on that you can tap into with new CRM, uh, new, um, you're on salesforce.com, new uh, apps that that align. So um, you can tap into more of the point of need view. And I think a a lot of trainers need to understand that the day in the life, the month in the life of reps in order to build bite size, always on uh, chunks. And yet uh, for many of them, they don't get the help they need uh, and they haven't necessarily um, been equipped with the skills to do that. And I think they take uh, too much of a ownership of all that as opposed to working together as a team to figure out how to be successful together. That's great advice for managing the internal customer. What about managing up to the to the C-suite? What what can enablement practitioners make sure that they are doing to 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 be effectively communicating the value that they're bringing to the organization? Yeah, um, one of the things that I think is really important is and not to uh, to be uh, self-serving, but I, and I think this is really important from a collection of smart people who got in a room together, the Sales Enablement Society meeting that we had. And you guys may have been there, Daniel, is when we talked about the idea of uh, running sales enablement as a business within a business yep, and then developing services to VPs of sales. That came from the folks that do the job every day and they think about becoming more strategic. And that's what they said was this idea of um, if we're going to run Enablement Inc., as a business, within a business, uh, who are our investors? Who are our customers? What inputs do we need? And then what services are we providing? We're not going to be pushing products 
Uh, what services are we going to provide? And from a training and development perspective, there are onboarding services that you can provide. There are Top Gun, you know, s- selling to executive services. There could be services on how to have a relevant um, meeting with a specific type of buyer. And when you start thinking about that view, um, that that is a way to elevate the, the role and get the funding that you need to drive business outcomes because the more end-to-end ownership of of these services that enablement professionals can take, the, the easier it is to draw a hard line between the outcome they're driving and the investment required. In, in theory, opening up the door for, for more of a, a financial conversation around the impact of their function. Yeah, the business within a business topic was actually the theme of the episode that we did with Jen Marie. So that worked out really well um, to be yeah. able to tie tie this together here. Um, great. Okay. Well, thank you very much for participating, Brian. But before we let you go, I'm not sure if you're aware of the Speedy Seven. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I heard a little bit about those. Like, I'm getting a little bit nervous right now. <laughs> All right. You should be shaking in your chair. All right. Because we have seven completely non sequitur, irrelevant questions to the sales <laughs> enablement space that our listeners tell us they absolutely love. Awesome. So here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready, and I, I've had two cups of coffee. <laughs> All right, good. I think I'm prepared, too. What was the first concert you ever attended? Oh, Def Leppard. Nice. <laughs> yeah. What city was it in? It was in um, Columbia, South Carolina. Oh, excellent. I was just in Charleston, South Carolina yesterday, actually. Yeah, it's awesome there. Uh, it is, especially this time of year. It's beautiful. All right. What was the last TV show that you binge watched? Uh, the Walking Dead. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, I've heard there's a lot of analogies to sales enablement there. <laughs> oh, The Walking Dead. Interesting. All right. We'll leave it at that. All right. What do you call the long sandwich that contains cold cuts, lettuce, tomato, et cetera? Um, I'm going to go with hoagie. That's correct. No, all right. Right. Ding, the, way you said, the way you said I'm going to go, there are no wrong answers to all right. any of these questions, actually. Uh, we just Except might. Maybe the from well, one on here. Yeah. Maybe. Well, we just might disagree with you, but it doesn't <laughs> okay. mean you are right in your own opinions. Um, uh, you did agree with me, so that means something. There was a, so last, was this last year at the very end of the year, right around the end of December, the New York Times put out a like a 20 question thing that it was, it was like how you say different things, then they could pinpoint exactly where you grew up. They put like heat maps and mm-hmm. it's like, you, you're probably from this exact spot. I thought it was totally fascinating. And this was one of the questions. Hoagie is mid, like mid Atlantic, right? It's like a, I, I don't know. Well, I don't know exactly where all of the things are from. Are you, Brian, are you from South Carolina? Yeah, I grew up there for a long time. Yeah. yeah so they said, so, and everyone said Hoagie, right? I mean, that was just the thing. That's right. Yeah. And so we said, we said a sub and when we said pop, right? Yeah. Yeah. From Michigan or something? From Ohio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Do you put your cups in the cupboard upright or upside down? They will go upside down. Is there a particular reason for this? Absolutely. It's so that you minimize breakage because when you put it right side up, people have a tendency in my household to stack them. And if you have glasses and you put one glass inside the other and it's hot from the dishwasher, it could break. See, this is is why you can never say they're wrong because that sounded like a damn good reason. There are some (laughs) polarizing reasons for right side up too. 
I'm so, sure there are. Yeah, this is probably one of our most polarizing questions. Well, we've heard actually <laughs> that the reason that people do them right side up is to stack them just yeah. so that they'll fit. Yeah. And I have a, I've got one drawer that I need to do that. But I, I'll tell you, I feel like I'm playing Russian roulette with those glasses. I've got young kids. The kids' drawer is a freaking disaster. Oh, right. Sideways would be the response <laughs> to how right. whatever way they could possibly get in there so I can get the drawer closed would be the answer to that question. That's right. All right. Uh, Froyo or ice cream? I will go with Froyo, especially at the yogurt places where you can put all the toppings on. That, so, that's, the, that's the winner there. This is a newer phenomenon. I mean, we had TCBY, but you didn't really get to do it yourself. Right. Very adamant about doing it for you. But now the whole self-serve thing, there's a place that, that I have near where I live called Menchie's, which is one of these self-service things. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can really go hog wild with the toppings. Yeah, oh, yeah. Total control. Being healthy by getting froyo, but then you put Oreos and oh, yeah. you know, marshmallows on it. Brownie bits and yeah. fudge. and. But it's healthy. It's froyo. Gummies. <laughs> yeah, you could go with the fruity side of that, pineapple-wise, and put like coconut and cherries and go with the fruit side of that, too. So, I, so have you ever been to Pinkberry? Oh, yeah. 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 So, uh, I mean, they don't let you get your own get your own on the yogurt side, but then you can pretty much just ask them to load it up and yeah. there's no extra. And uh, one of my favorite things, I love mango. Mm. And one of my favorite things is to get the mango, pinkberry froyo with, because it's a little tart, you know, they do yeah. it like a little bit tart and then with just mangoes on it. Mm. I, I call it the double mango. Wow. You can, you can, you can have that. Anybody, if you want, you can go order the double mango. However, I need to warn you that they might not know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, similar side story, actually. I was trying to be really cool and hip, um, which was probably the first mistake I was making. When I went to Star uh, Starbucks drive-thru, I don't, I don't drink coffee. I, I, drink, I, I just drink tea, so I, I normally don't go to Starbucks. But my wife really wanted to get a pumpkin spiced latte, mm -hmm. which is apparently the thing you the need to do if you are a lover of all things pumpkin in the fall. And so we go into the, and I, and I was hip enough, I am hip enough to know that there is an entire hashtag PSL movement out there. Oh, yeah. I've known that for, for over a season of fall here. I, was, I knew this last year, but I wanted to be kind of cool and hip. And so I was in the drive-thru and they asked me what I would like to order. And there's a big sign up there that says pumpkin spice latte. It's the thing, it's the thing to do. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll please have a, uh, I'll have a grande PSL uh, with no whip. And, uh, and she said, what? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, You're like, oh come on, God. get with the time. Yeah. Except for the fact that the drive between when I had ordered and to where we were pulling up at the window uh, just involved me having to listen to my wife laugh at how <laughs> funny it was of me trying to be cool and getting shot down. I um, think if you work at Starbucks, you should know what PSL stands for. You know, I tried to say something like that, but it was really, the laughter was too loud and I was, I, I just, oh. you know. Well, you're way, you're way, way more cool than I am because I went to Starbucks and I walked up there. I said, oh, you have pumpkin spice latte now. And she looked at me and she's like, yeah, I've had it for weeks. Oh, my God. Like, oh geez, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. 
As she spells your name, brain. Right, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, wow. Like, wow, you guys move at the speed of latte. I could not (laughs) up with you. Oh, all right. Thank you, everybody, for experiencing that digression. There's still two questions to go. Paper or plastic? Um, I'll do paper if uh, if it'll all go in there without breaking. But, yeah, I, I also bring my own bag. There you that, go. Should, that should get me brownie points from Definitely. a certain portion of your audience. That pink, does pink extra, brownie points. Pinkberry brownie pink, Yeah, exactly. Brownie bits. <laughs> brownie bites. Um, there have been a fair number of people that have actually said, bring your own. Mm-hmm. I think Jen Marie was on that train. I think she was, too. Yep. Apparently, that's how you get into the Sales Enablement Society, yeah. is also proof that you're green. Yes, bring your own bag right. and bring your own alcohol. All right. BYOB, yes. All right. <laughs> I don't know if you're a, uh, a baseball fan. So what would your walk-on song be? Oh, okay. Well, I, oof. I'm going to have to go, and just because of I don't want to overthink this, I'll go with uh, Thunderstruck with ACDC. Oh, yes. That's one of the best, great one. best uh, intro songs ever. Intro riffs ever, yeah. Didn't Papelbon used to come out of the bullpen to Thunderstruck? Wow. I don't know. Yeah, I played um, soccer in in college, and that's what we came out to, and we ran around the field and did our warm-ups too. Yeah. You know, we struck struck fear in the heart of our... Yes. (laughs) Yes. Daniel has to (laughs) sing. No, (laughs) be Thunderstruck! I think they were just like rolling their eyes at us, but we thought we were cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Brian. We have a lot of fun with those. You were a lot of fun. Uh, All right. A lot of great things that people are going to be able to take away from this. Um, And uh, and maybe we'll do maybe we'll do a little bit of a giveaway here. We can get people to react to the episode. Uh, share the episode, give it five stars, and we'll we'll send along a couple copies of of Brian's books to you. So how about that? If people uh, if, if if people want to take us up on that offer, we'll we'll keep our end of the bargain as well. All right. right. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for for having me, and uh, you know, look forward to the, continuing the conversation. And thanks for uh, your your support of uh, sales enablement. Yeah, and we will see you at the national meeting in November. Absolutely. Look forward to it, guys. Take care. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. You can connect with Brian on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dr. Brian Lambert. That's because he's a doctor. Or meet him in person at the upcoming Sales Enablement Society National Meeting on November 18th. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. You can follow our Seismic Sales Enablement Shift podcast to learn more about sales enablement. See you next time. <laughs>